Well, take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And tonight we want to look at the progress of prayer. The progress of prayer. James chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18. A man took his small son uh, to run some errands in town, and when lunchtime arrived, the two of them went to a restaurant for a little sandwich, and father sat down uh, at the chair there, and he lifted the boy up into the seat there as well, and they ordered lunch. And when the waiter brought the food, the father said, Son, we'll have a silent prayer. Dad got through praying first and waited for the boy to finish his prayer, but he just sat there with his head bowed for an unusually long time. When he finally looked up, his father asked him, What in the world were you praying about all this time? With innocence and honesty of a child, he replied, How do I know it was a silent prayer? Now, we've met this evening for a time of prayer, and it's appropriate for us to do so. Why should we have a midweek prayer service? Uh, why are so many churches eliminating it from their schedule? I mean, is there a Bible reason for a midweek, a midweek prayer service? Well, according to the scriptures, the Lord's house is to be a house of prayer. Isaiah 56 and verse 7 says, Even them that I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings, burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And God's people should be people of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Luke 18, 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And in Ephesians 5 or 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And yet prayer and the prayer meeting have kind of become a stepchild of the church. I believe that God's people need some fresh insight into this awesome power of prayer. And we need to see the necessity of it. You see, we're taught to pray. We need to pray and we must pray. As we sang, I must tell Jesus. That's a time of prayer where we go to the Lord in times of trouble, times of uh, uh, goodness. There will never be a great move of God in this or any church until first the people learn to pray. Now tonight, I want to take just a few minutes to look at these verses here in James and see what James is trying to teach us about prayer. First of all, the challenge to pray. In verse 13 through 16, it says, uh, in uh, verse 13, is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. 
Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one for, pray one for another. James is really speaking primarily about prayer and the healing of uh, sickness. Not only just physical sickness, but sin sickness. Uh, he also uh, gives us some insight into our own daily prayer life. Uh, the challenge that we have here before Christians in these verses is to pray. First of all, notice subjects for prayer. Subjects for prayer. First subject is affliction. Afflicted means endure hardships. Those who are walking through the valleys and trials of life are to pray. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The second subject would be sickness. When we or others are sick, we're to call out their names in prayer. And we often have requests for those who are suffering some physical ailment. Well, God is a healer. And so we go to him in prayer on behalf of those who are afflicted with sickness. Uh, verse 15 tells us, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Another subject is brethren. In other words, and that includes cisterns too, but we're to pray for one another. Pray for one another in the family of God. We have a duty to one another to pray fervently about the needs, the burdens, and the lives of our fellow believers. Galatians 6, 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then another subject of prayer for prayer is joy. It's implied that when there is joy, that too should be expressed. And what better place to express than before the Lord in prayer? Philippians chapter 1 verse 4 says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. Those are some subjects. Now there are other subjects of, for prayer, but those are the ones that James seems to be uh, focused on. Secondly, we need the strength for prayer. Again, in verse 15, James mentions the prayer of faith. Faith is what gives prayer its strength, its effectiveness. And God answers prayer, but he does so in response to the faith of his people. James makes it clear that faith is an essential ingredient in effective praying. Go back to James chapter 1 and look at verses 5 through 8. James chapter 1 verse 5 through 8 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's prayer. Ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, 
and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When Hudson Taylor went to China, he made the voyage on a sailing ship, and as it neared the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary heard an urgent knock on his statesman's statement, uh, stateroom door. And he opened it, and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind. We're drifting toward an island where the people are heathen, and I fear they are cannibals. What can I do, said Taylor? I understand you believe in God. I want you to pray for wind. All right, Captain, I will, but you must set the sail. Why, that's ridiculous. There's not even the slightest breeze. Besides, the sailors will think I'm crazy. Nevertheless, the captain finally agreed, and 45 minutes later, he returned and found the missionary still on his knees. He said, you can stop praying now. We've got more wind than we know what to do with. What we're saying here is that if we need something from God, we must ask for it in faith. God must not simply respond to our asking, but it's our faith that moves in God into action. So then we come to the source of prayer. All prevailing prayer has its roots in the written word of God. What I mean by this is you cannot simply pray for something frivolous and expect God to give it to you. However, when he has specifically spoken of something in his word, then you can pray with confidence. It is his will and he will answer it. Faith is always based upon the word of God. Romans 10:17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if there's a need, God will meet it. Philippians 4:19 but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. If there is a fear, God will replace it. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be no made known unto God. And then also, 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So if there's fear, God will replace it. If there's a burden, God, God will lift it. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. If, you. if there's a need for someone to be saved, God can deal with them. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If there's sin, God will forgive it. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, all I'm trying to get to this evening is that we see that when we pray, we can only pray in faith if we can base our prayers on the revealed will of God. His word is found in the Bible. 
Anything else, merely something based in our own wants, our own desires, or maybe even our own greeds. Often, these things are not necessarily wrong, but God may not grant them. And yet, we can have absolute assurance that he will always answer those prayers that are prayed as a result of his promises. So that's a challenge to pray. Then we go to the character of prayer. Again in verse 16 here, it says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Notice the type of prayers to pray. Jesus says our praying is to be effectually fervent. Now, effectual fervent, these two words are the translation of a word that means to display one's activity, to put forth power. It simply means we're to pray in faith and then put legs to our prayer or feet to our prayer, however you want to say that. Many times we pray and then we just sit and think God's going to make it happen when he wants us to do something. And we need to put feet to our prayer. We have a tendency to ask, sit, and wait. Well, God's plan is that we ask, thank him for the answer that's coming, and then get up and live through prayer uh, as though the prayer has already been answered. In Bristol, England, George Mueller operated an orphanage for 2,000 children. One evening, he became aware that there would be no breakfast for them the next morning. Mueller called his workers together, explained the situation. Two or three prayed. And he said, no, that's, that's sufficient. Let's get up and praise God for the prayer that's been answered. The next morning, they could not push open the great big front door. So they went out the back door and around the building to see what was holding it shut. And there, stacked up against the front door, were boxes and boxes filled with food. One of the workers later remarked, we know who sent the baskets, but we do not know who brought them. We know who sent them, but we don't know who brought them. And I believe these words can be an encouragement to us to be fervent, to be excited about our praying. We should pray with zeal of soul and a burden of the heart. And I, th I don't think prayer should ever be a humdrum undertaking. So the type of prayers to pray. Secondly, the type, and it's the type of person. Somehow that did not get on there. God calls the effectual prayer of a righteous man. Okay, that's the type of person who prays. Uh, this refers to a standard of life that reflects a commitment to God and his word and his will. In other words, God has respect to the prayers of the holy, yet he does not hear the prayers of the sinful. We've talked about that already in our study on the problems of prayer. One of the biggest problems is our sinful hearts. If I, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It says in Psalm 66, 18. 1 John 3, 22 and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments 
and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, if we're determined to have effective prayer, then we must get our lives in line with God and his will for our lives. The third thing we see here, not only the type of prayers, but the type of person, and then the type of power. The type of power in prayer. James tells us the proper and God-honoring prayer availeth much. This simply means to put forth much more than was expected. We, when we pray in faith, it unlocks a great potential of God to work in our world. God honors the praying of his people because his people, pray, uh, people praying honors him. So we have the challenge to pray, the character of prayer. Thirdly, the confidence in prayer. The confidence in prayer. Look at verse 17 and 18. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by a space of three years and six months, and he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. First of all, we know that we can have confidence in prayer because God promises, God's promises in prayer. What does he promise us? Well, he promises to hear us. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer thee. Isaiah 65, 24, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. So there are two promises, one in Jeremiah 33, 3, one in Isaiah 65, verse 24, and that we could probably find many, many more. But God promises to hear us. And then secondly, he promises to help us, to help us. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. So we have God's promises in prayer to hear us and to help us. And then we have God's performance, God's performance in prayer. We have a God who is able to do. As Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And what James tells us about Elijah was exceedingly abundantly above all that he could ask or think. God moved in response to his prayer of faith. God doesn't always answer prayers to our liking or our timetable. But he does answer the prayers of his children. God will do some amazing things because of prayer. But it's not really so amazing when you think of who you are praying to. Who is it that we are praying to? It's the God of heaven the God of heaven. And then thirdly, God's people in prayer. Now according to James, Elijah was not perfect. 
but he was subject to the same passions that afflict us all. Yet God used him to do great things through the prayers of faith. You see, God deals with us on the basis of the here and now. He never holds our confessed past against us. He encouraged, that encourages me. Because all of us are prone to failure. But it is a comfort to know that when we get into sin, we can come to our Father, have our prayer lives restored by simply confessing that sin before him and repenting of it. 1 John 1.9 If you take a time to look at others in the Bible like Abraham and Moses and Jonah and Hezekiah and many others, you'll find they were all men who failed God at one time or another, and yet they were all great men of prayer. And I'm grateful that we have a God who invites us to join him bringing our needs to his attention. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. You see, great things happen when saved people call on an omnipotent God. And so as you consider the subject of prayer this evening, I hope your heart again has been stirred to think about maybe looking at your prayer life and saying, maybe I need to work on that more. Maybe I need to revamp my personal prayer life. And I hope that the Lord will stir our church to be more of a praying church. Ask yourself these questions. Do I pray believing God will answer? Am I making progress in my prayer life? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these truths from James chapter 5. Truths that we can take and take to heart and apply to our own lives. We may say, well, I'm not James, I'm not Elijah. But Lord, we can pray to you just like they did. And we can seek your face and find answers for our needs as well. Help us to be in the word so we know that we can pray in your will. And we pray, Lord, that you will encourage our hearts through the answers to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.